0: Christmas is my favorite time of the year. And I have a confession about Christmas. I hate Christmas music. I do. I do. But I love Christmas worship music because, and there's a reason, it is the most scriptural worship music of the whole year. It is all about Jesus, his birth, and we're constantly singing scripture to God, and it is just a wonderful, beautiful thing. So whenever I hear Christmas music throughout the week, Christmas worship music, I'm always incredibly excited. Do yourself a favor, go on Zion's YouTube page and look up Oh Holy Night. That is my favorite song that we have done, Christmas music. It has been on repeat in my house. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, I'm gonna get now into our sermon which is our first week of Advent. And we're a little late, but we had to cancel a week, so it's okay. Uh, We are going to be going through the Psalms as we do Advent together. And Advent, for those of you that don't know, is the part of the church calendar where we anticipate together the birth of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate together what it meant for Emmanuel, God with us, to come in his incarnation And it is a important part for us to remember and for us to do together because the gospel is not just the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. It is also the incarnation of Jesus, the good news of Jesus coming down to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we will spend the next month anticipating and celebrating Jesus coming as a baby in a manger. So we're going to be reading Psalm chapter 146, you have it in your uh, Sunday sheet that you should have had in your seat. And I want, I want to put a little context as we read this. When we finished Habakkuk last week and as uh, the last three sermons we did in Habakkuk was, was the Psalm of Habakkuk. It was Habakkuk's psalm to God after having this conversation with God, and it ends incredibly sad but still joyful, which on this note of, we will wait on you, Lord, and we will be silent in the waiting because you are just, but as we wait, everything will fall around us, everything will fail, but we will keep our strength in you, the God of our salvation. And this idea of waiting for the coming kingdom, for the coming king, is not just seen in Habakkuk, but is seen all throughout Scripture from the very beginning of Scripture. In fact, in the very beginning in Genesis, in the first few chapters, we see the anticipation. As soon as Adam and Eve sin, God declares that not only is a curse put on the serpent, the man, and the woman, but that there will be someone who comes who will crush the serpent's head. And so that is the first prophecy, the first uh, part of the people of God anticipating the coming Savior. And so in the Psalms, this is a psalm that Habakkuk would have read with the people of God. This is a psalm that they would have read and understood to anticipate the coming kingdom with the Savior, the Messiah. And so, if you remember, their entire country was just uh, was going to be destroyed. They were going to be taken into exile. Everything around them was failing. There was injustice everywhere in God's people and God's nation, and everything looked like it was going wrong. And this is the psalm, one of the psalms that they would hold on to to remember and anticipate the coming kingdom of God. Let's read it together. Psalm chapter forty-six, verse one. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob and whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner, the immigrant. He upholds the widow and the fatherless but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It is, you know, when, when, we talk about joy, and we talked about joy last week, and in, in suffering. You wonder how how do we have joy? Well, we, uh, a few a few weeks back, we talked about Habakkuk sitting in Scripture, and the ability to meditate on who God is, and that being a reminder and a kind of a, a cornerstone in our life, a strong foundation to be able to sit in the understanding of who God is. And, and I love how this psalm begins and ends with praise the Lord. And that's what we get to do here every single week together. That's why I encourage us, don't allow the worship team to be the only people singing, but to sing with them that we should praise together. And when you read in the Psalms about praise and about worship, it's talking about all the people singing together, the congregation coming, the instruments playing, a a time to rejoice, to celebrate because God is king and his kingdom will reign forevermore. But in the time of Israel, they would look around with a prophecy like this and an understanding of God's kingdom and who God was, and they would see Babylon reigning, Assyria reigning, Rome reigning, and they would think, I cannot wait for the day that the kingdom of God comes and our promised king comes down. So that the everlasting kingdom that has been promised over and over again first to Abraham and then again to David and again to Solomon and again foresaw and all the prophets. We cannot wait for this time, this Lord. The anticipation of the coming king lasted hundreds and hundreds of years for Israel and the anticipation got deeper and deeper and deeper. The more they waited because Israel Once they were conquered, once they had no land, once they were in exile, they could not wait for the Messiah to make everything right again. So much so that there was, during the time of Jesus, there was a group called the Zealots. And one of Jesus's disciples was part of this group, a Zealot, and the Zealots gave their entire life towards physically wanting to bring the kingdom of God here And what does that mean physically? They were about war. They were about rising up against the yoke of the Roman Empire and throwing it off so that the place of God, Jerusalem, could once again be the reigning place of Yahweh amongst all the land. The people of Israel could not wait for their king. When David was king, it was promised to David that his line would be a king, a, a line of kings that would last forever, that of the line of David there would be no end, that it would it would reign on and on and on again. It was reinforced with Solomon. And so the people of Israel anticipated and waited: where is this everlasting? Where is this king? It was a hope that they had in their hearts. They hoped that went all the way back to Abraham, that first where they said the seed of Abraham would bless all nations. This hope that one day there will be a restoration and a reckoning in the earth where there will finally be a just king who reigns in a just kingdom. What all of history had pointed to up until that moment And what all of history had anticipated to that time and to this day, what all of history is split by is this moment, is the moment that this king would come and for us that this king did come. That is something that was praiseworthy for Israel back then and it's something that is praiseworthy for us today. They would praise in the hope of this savior, in the hope of this kingdom, And whenever you begin to put your hope in God, there's something that happens with that, that you have to take your hope away from something. When you orient your eyes towards Jesus, you have to move your eyes away from something else. One of my prayers for our church constantly when I pray for our church is that our eyes would be fixated on Christ because that would mean that our eyes would turn away from the other things in the world that would try to captivate our attention. Your greatest resource is not money. Your greatest resource is not your time. Your greatest resource is your attention. What do you give your attention to? What do you fixate your eyes unto? Where do you put the the beholding of what you stare at day in and day out? What do you give yourself to? My prayer for our church is that we fixate our eyes on Jesus, that we keep our eyes on Christ. And in order for us to do that, we have to take our hope from everything else in the world and place it at the feet of Jesus. And the psalmist says here, such an incredible verse, he says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans perish. See, human kings and leaders do not match up to our king, the king of kings and the lord of lords. There's no real salvation in kings and kingdoms of the earth. See, history has proven over and over and over and over again that no kingdom will last. No king will rule forever There is no kingdom, there is no company, there is no nation, there is no dictator, there is no rich person that will live and rule forever and ever and ever and ever. It will not happen. But yet, we as a people, we constantly find ourselves putting our hope in humankind. If you look at the world around you, I've talked about this before, but one of the one of the days this was most evident that not only Christians, but the, the country put its hope, its salvation, its, its care for the future in a human, in a, in a unjust place. Anything led by humans, anything done by humans will inherently be unjust because of sin and its permeation, not only individually, but systemically in all things that we do. But the day that this, I think, resonated most with me, and this is not a political statement, this is just an observation, was the day after the 2016 election in New York City. Now, if you remember the day after Trump got elected, obviously New York City is an incredibly liberal, progressive city, and so our city as a whole, generally, was not happy with the election, but the city was so unhappy, I'll never forget this, walking around in the city the day after the New York Times announced that Trump won the presidency, it was like a depression fell over the city. I don't know if anybody remembers it. Uh, walking around, one of my, uh, somebody I know uh, had a, uh, a Trump hotel umbrella and didn't realize it was a little gloomy that day, was walking in the city with that umbrella and they kept getting cursed out while they were walking to work. Like people would just stop them and be like, phew. And, and it, it was like, what is going on? And then when he got to work and closed his umbrella, he was like, "Oh." Wrong umbrella to wear to you know, go to work today. And there, there was a gloom that happened in a depression that kind of covered the city. And the reason why the depression covered the city is because every election cycle, it happens. We put our hope in a new electorate. We put our hope in a new president. We put our hope in a system We put our hope in our country. We put our hope in a person. And let's say the person doesn't win like then. You know, the bipartisanship around that election kind of elevated to a new level in our country's history. And that day in New York, we saw where New Yorkers had put their hope in a human king. And New York was depressed. New York was weary. People walked around with a cloud, a heaviness on top of them. And whenever you do, I I always love it, uh, whenever someone is elected and somebody's happy that their person is elected, red or blue, uh, because then, you know, you look at the approval ratings of any new president and it's like, you know, between 50 and 60 percent, everybody that voted for the president, even some independents are happy, like things are going well. 100 days later, approval ratings just start to dip because Everything that you hoped for in a person will not be actualized. No person is worth putting their hope in. And so when we put our hope in people, the reality of putting our hope in somebody begins to seep in and approval ratings begin to fall because everything we hoped for that person to do to save us from, to save this country from, to be able to accomplish, you realize they're not able to do it, or they lied to us, or everything that they said was just so that they can get elected and it's just going to be the same old thing that is going to happen because it's a systemic issue. And so what happens is approval ratings begin to decline, As the longer the president stays in, the more the approval ratings start to go down. Yes, people begin to realize my hope was misplaced in this person. Yet it's a trap that we fall into every single time over and over and over again because part of the human condition is we need to be saved. We want to be saved. We recognize there is evil in the world. There is something that is not quite right. Philosopher after philosopher has come up with different ways. Oh, this would be a utopian society. This would be the best. The, the, the free market and capitalism, uh, you, communism and, and Marxism, right? This is the way for utopian, but then you realize there's cracks in the system. My hope may be in this philosophy. My hope may be in this leader. My hope may be in this country, but guess what? Put not your hope in in princes, your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. For when his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. See, the thing is, when we don't have a savior, we look to find one. And we will, we will put it in something. It may be the political system. It may be in the entertainment system. It may be in the, the place that we live. It may be in the promotion or our job, but we will put it somewhere. And the scripture here is explicit. When we put it in people, when we put it somewhere else, our trust where it does not belong, it's going to fail. Why? Because Ecclesiastes puts it great just as the psalmist puts it here is that we may work our whole life and toil and work our whole life to accumulate all these things, but the day we die, we have to give it to somebody that did not toil for what we worked for. All of it is vanity, vanity, vanity. There may be a... a, A benevolent dictator, there may be a really good person, there may be somebody that seems really great at the thing that they do, and we wanna put our salvation, but they are not eternal. And so even the best king, even the best president, even the best dictator, even the best system, none of it is eternal, one day it will die, and with it, all its plans, all it has worked for will die with it, and so will our hope for salvation. lasting salvation only can come from one place. And so the psalmist says, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. See, we walk in the blessing of God when we put our hope in the right place. When we put our trust in the right place, where our help and our hope come from God, we walk in blessing. Why? Well, the psalmist lays out his points here because he is the one who created everything heaven and earth, the sea, and everything that is in it. Who better to place our hope in than the one who is the creator, the one who has created all we have, everything that we see, everything that we have around us the heavens and the earth, the stars, the sea, and all the creatures. If there's anyone that we can hope in, it is the eternal one who has created us. He keeps (laughs) faith forever. Last week we talked about our faithfulness towards God. But here, we see God's faithfulness towards us. See, in the scripture in Revelation, it says, "No one can snatch us out of the hand of God." That is a promise and something that I have held on to so often in my life, that no matter what my circumstance or situations was looking like, I knew that I served a faithful God who keeps faith forever, who when he made a promise in Abraham that his seed would bless all the earth, that he would stick to that promise and has done so, that in Jesus all the earth has been blessed, the Gentiles and the Jews, that when he told the serpent, you may bruise his heel, but he will crush your head, he keeps faith forever, no matter how many thousands of years after it took, God made sure that he accomplished his plans. That when I think of eternal life and I think of being with him forever and I think of what he has promised a reward in heaven for, I know that he keeps faith forever. See, the hope of the Christian is not wishful. The hope of the Christian is, I hope I get some good presents on Christmas, but you don't know what's coming. The hope of the Christian is joyfully anticipating the promises of God, knowing that they will come to pass. Do you see the difference there? Hope in the Christian is not an if. It's more of a when. It is a knowing that God is gonna, see, I don't know the day I'm gonna die and I'm gonna receive my eternal reward. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I don't know when I'm gonna have my new body and walk on the new heavens and the new earth, but I know it will happen because God is a God who keeps faith forever. And it is not a question of, will you do this, Lord? It is a question of, when is it happening, Lord? He is the only true just judge. Verse seven, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. You know, a lot of times we like to over-spiritualize these verses. And, and we would take this only into the spiritual world. And I think that's a lot of, that, that, is, that is a lot of Western Christianity that when we think of When I hear this verse often quoted, he who executes justice for the oppressed who gives food to the hungry, we think of my spiritual oppression. We think of my spiritual hunger that God is going to free me of my spiritual sinfulness or or feed me because I'm spiritually hungry. And although that may be true, it is wrong to disassociate and disconnect it from the physical kingdom that God was talking about here. That not only did he promise, yes, freedom from spiritual oppression and freedom from spiritual thirst and spiritual hunger, but he promised freedom from physical oppression and physical hunger and thirst that in his kingdom, there would be justice. That the physically oppressed, the poor and the needy among us, would not live in a world systemically where they would deal with the oppression of others due to greed and power and control, that in his kingdom, the meek inherit the earth. In his kingdom, the poor in spirit are the ones that are elevated. In his kingdom... We can look for all injustice to be departed in his kingdom. There is no more oppression. There is no more hungry. There is no more haves and haves It is not a zero-sum game where there's a certain amount of resources and we're all competing for it. No, it is infinite beauty, infinite power, infinite presence, infinite glory. we cannot fathom the depths of who he is. You are blessed because your hope is not put to shame. You are blessed because where you put your trust, where you put your joy, where you put your hope will not be in something that will shame you in your future because it has not happened. I don't know if you've ever talked something up. You know, in, in, in business, I have learned something very, very practical. I, in the, when the early days of starting my business, I used to get so excited when I was landing a deal. And I would start telling everybody, man, we're about to get this client, and we we're gonna do this for this client and this. And they, can you can you believe that this person hired us to do this and it's so cool, it's gonna be so amazing. And then, like, three months later, they'd be like, Oh, how's that project going? Be like, and never got it. Shame. See, because I was. Hoping in someone else's word that said, oh, yeah, I'm going to work with you. Yeah, this is a done deal. But in business, I learned never get excited till the money hits the account. Come on, can I get an amen for that? (laughs) But that that was a hope that shamed me. Because I hoped in somebody else's word that they were good for it. But when I put my hope in Christ, my hope is not put to shame because he is always good for his word. And so on judgment day, uh, in eternity, on the day of the Lord, I will not stand there shamed because what I had proclaimed and what I had preached and what I had said does not come to happen. No, I will stand there in God's glory knowing that everywhere I put my hope, every time I trusted in him, in my faithfulness towards him, that he is the one who truly kept faith forever. And I am blessed, blessed, and blessed for that. See, the Messiah coming and his kingdom coming he was the only one that can do this. He was the only one that could do what the psalmist was saying, that he could set the prisoners free, that he can open the eyes of the blind, that he can lift up those who are bowed down and he would love the righteous and watch over the immigrant to uphold the, in the, in the scriptures it's the widow because back then the, the, the family unit would be destroyed by war. There was constantly men going off to die. Today, the widow is the single mom. It's how the, the mom raises children by herself because the man has left, right? It is he upholds the single mom and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Jesus is the one who fulfills this. In Luke chapter nine, he feeds 5,000. He gives food to the hungry and he not only feeds them physically, but then he also feeds them spiritually. In Luke chapter four, he stands up in the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah and he says, he has come to set the captives free. And after he sits down, he says, this has been fulfilled in your presence. In Luke chapter 18, he sees a blind man that has been blind for a long time and he heals the blind man so that he sees in that very moment. In Acts chapter six, in the church that comes out of it, we see that the widows, the Greek widows were not getting their proper fill. They They were being discriminated against, but not in God's kingdom. We see that it was fixed that day and the diaconate was put in the church. We see in Matthew chapter 25 that there is the promise that Jesus is going to judge all the wicked. See, Jesus was the only one that can fulfill this and walk it out and and be the one that when our hope is placed in him, It has never failed because he is fully God and fully human that he came, Emmanuel. He didn't come riding a white horse and conquering armies. He wasn't born in the emperor's palace in Rome. He wasn't born with all the gold and the wealth in the world. He wasn't born in comfort. He was born in a manger. He was born humbly to a teenage bride. He was born in scandal. He had to flee in the womb while he was still in Mary's stomach to Egypt. And then out of Egypt, he was called back to Bethlehem where he was rejected from every inn. He was rejected from every hotel so that he would be where it was there. There was dung-filled, smelly manger where the animals were put. He was made poor so that we could be made rich. He was made lowly so that anybody lowly can come to him. He can lift up their head and say, you are my daughter. You are my son. Here is my inheritance. Here is my righteousness. Here is my mercy and my grace and my wisdom. It's yours. See, the Messiah was the only one that could fulfill. And Israel anticipated, sat fervently waiting for hundreds of years from even the times of Abraham, thousands of years. When will you come? When is the promised Savior going to come? And today we get to celebrate his kingdom that lasts forever. That every single time we baptize somebody, we are proclaiming that the kingdom of God is taking ground here on earth. And every single time we love someone who is our enemy, every single time we care for someone who is poor, every single time we, we, we see justice in the land when injustice has been done to us, whenever we forgive someone who has wronged us, what has happened, we are proclaiming the kingdom of God and the just King on earth as it is in heaven. This is good news that for all generations there will be no end to his kingdom. Their anticipation and our celebration. Can you stand with me? This is good news. Let me tell you something, church. If they praise God before any of this happened, then we can praise God today because Jesus has come. If they got joyful of David, danced so crazily that everybody was scandalized by how he danced, come on. We're not so Pentecostal that we don't let anybody dance up in this place. If they shouted for joy in the Psalms, and they had corruptible kings, and we can shout for joy now because we have the incorruptible king that we serve. If they praised him then, we can surely praise him now. Father, I thank you that you have given us more than enough to praise, more than enough to celebrate, God. I thank you, God, that their anticipation is our celebration today, Father, that we can thank you and worship you and praise you, because not only have you come, but you have fulfilled all that you have promised, God, and we walk in the kingdom that is forever and ever and ever, and we serve the king that will have justice. We serve the king that in him is only righteousness. We serve the king that is present with us right now. We serve the King who has come to fulfill all that has promised, that was promised in his scriptures. Let us praise you with a joyful heart, knowing who we serve and why we serve you. And Lord, help us to put our hope, our trust in you, the incorruptible seed of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.